Bienvenidos. This is Seminary for the Rest of Us. As always, I'm your host, Sabrina Reyes Peters. This is episode three of Sacred Seminary Symposium, a joint project with Sancta Colloquia. Recall that we are alternating the production of episodes, so if you missed episode two, you'll want to go find Sancta Colloquia on your podcast app and listen to it. Anyhow, in this episode, episode three, Lauren and I discuss chapter two of Mujerista Theology. The chapter is entitled Luchar por la Justicia es Rezar, or To Struggle for Justice is to Pray, and whew, man, this episode is hot. You don't realize some of the things that you say or that were said when you put some time in between you and the recording. Uh, We recorded this the Friday following election day, and boy, did we have some things to say to folks. Uh, We touch on colonialism and missions, anti-intellectualism versus theologies that give hope, holiness and piety, spiritual violence in the form of elevating the spiritual over the material, and we somehow managed, as we did in the last episode, so to slip in uh, some mention of Marxism and a critique of capitalism. Uh, if you stay till the very end, and you'll want to do so, you also get some Enneagram fun as we try to type the author of Mujerista Theology, Ara Maria Isasi Diaz. Uh, even though you're technically not supposed to type other people. Okay, I'm done paddling now, uh, so you can go and enjoy this episode. Hi, Lauren. Hey, how are you? I am okay. I'm glad for this uh, little break in the midst of, uh, I hate to admit that I've been glued to a scream, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and my neck has been tensed up and my shoulder has been tensed up and my jaw has been tense. Um, I'm glad for this uh, little little break in the midst of all the chaos, in the chaos in the air. Yes, it has been a little bit crazy. I have um, really enjoyed the memeage has been just great. I feel like we're dealing with people who give us plenty of content and fodder for such memes. I do think that one of my favorite aspects of the whole entire election 2020 experience has been the reality that my boys are old enough that I can send them about 75% of all the memes that I stumble across. That's so fun. It is, it is. And they're actually invested. So it's really cool to kind of have little human beings. They're not so little. They're nearly my height and taller, uh, but just invested. And so I'll wake up or I'll say, I said, what did I say today? I said, oh, hey, Pennsylvania flipped. And my boys hollered from downstairs. Yeah, we know. (laughs) I was like, this is a whole new realm. Like I've got these mini adults kind of hanging out, invested in what's going on. So anyway, it's been fun. Yeah. Um, I liked all the, 
the remixes of the Paula White prayer session that went around. My my favorite one, I think, was with the cat. The cat going (laughs) bopping. Maybe we could get the cat in our video. Maybe we could... (laughs) If anybody knows how to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously, let us know. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, there is just so much going on. And I feel that um, I was just recording with a friend of mine and Kate Hanches, David Justice. And I'm actually editing that episode currently for Sancta Colloquia uh, to drop this week. And I bumped I, I, I did the, you know, um, well, I'm not a Myers-Briggs J anyway, I'm a Myers-Briggs P. So I pulled in all the, the, the P that I have and I was like, we're shifting the schedule. And so his interview and his discussion about Martin Luther King Jr. and um, the beloved community and creative rage is so spot on. And while I was talking with him, I was really excited because I kept getting reminded so much of um, Muharista theology and the idea of struggle and faith and struggle and life and how tightly connected that is and how Isazi Diaz does such a great job articulating that from the from her perspective um, and uh, in 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 unity with um, grassroots Latina women. That's going to be an amazing episode. <laughs> well, I, I didn't, out. it wasn't until like after we shut, we stopped recording and I was like, Hey, I didn't mention this, but have you read, you know, Mirista theology? And he was like, yes, I have. And I was like, Oh, excellent. Because there's so much overlap. Um, but anyway, it got me really excited about recording today. So do we want to go over, do you want, should I go over last time? Yeah. That we talked about last time. Yeah. From the closet. Yeah, episode, from the closet, closet episode. Um, <laughs> the closet episode. Yeah, I was debating on whether I should record from the closet, but then I was like, eh. uh, my spouse is hanging out upstairs, uh, keeping tabs on uh, the polls and things, so I can't. Um, so last time we discussed chapter one which is called a hispanic garden in a foreign land um, and we supplemented that with an essay from another uh collection and uh we talked about quite a few things um we talked about how uh we uh, do well in honoring uh, the legacy of feminists that come before us um, even if uh, we don't necessarily agree with everything uh, that they did, um, we honor them by looking at their work and by looking at the context in which they were working. And uh, I, I distinctly remember wanting to blame the patriarchy for what? a lot of a lot of things, uh, especially <laughs> this point. At this point, that came up that. Um, Theology that we are taught to default to in dominant culture is theology that Calvin wrote, uh, Augustine wrote, that uh, all those Luther wrote. That mm-hmm. <laughs> and I could go on and on. Um, and when we encounter someone like uh, Isasi Diaz, uh, we go, hmm, like can we? 
really take what she's saying right. seriously because right. she's not part of the dominant culture and um and yeah and I still I'm still trying to work myself is that decolonizing yeah I think that's part of decolonizing is uh working my way out of that frame of thinking mm-hmm. um what else did we go over we talked about self-defining and self-determining. We linked it a little bit to a uh, discussion of Marxism um, and the personal power, uh, that that power that is so crucial in so many of our dialogues and um, where we, we, we who have power based off of skin color or our sex or, you know, especially, um, like white men going back to the patriarchy right and so we have this power but really it's um power that is in us to self-define self-determine self um identify uh and so we did we talked a lot about power and we definitely ended on that discussion about building off of the shoulders of those who have gone before us and a lot of garden imagery so we sort of covered the whole entire thing and talked a lot about um, Isazi Diaz's life, um, it being one of the most biographical chapters. Yeah. And today we are going to talk about chapter two, uh, to struggle for justice is to pray. And I'm going to attempt the yes. Spanish title, <laughs> even though I might butcher like a tiny bit of it. Luchar you por la... me. <laughs> <laughs> Luchar por la justicia es rezar. And I probably but butchered just a tiny bit. Um, I the funny thing, I, the bad thing, or not the bad thing, the unfortunate thing about languages that are spoken is that if you don't practice like you can literally if you don't practice speaking like you can literally feel your tongue like physically struggling over the sound mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I feel that I feel that because I don't get to practice enough so this chapter opens up with um Isaza Diaz recounting um a procession of a um, in a parade. Did you understand what was going on with that procession? Um, I, th- I feel like she mentioned it. I feel like I read about it before that maybe she mentioned it elsewhere. Um, I didn't really know uh, what she was talking about, but I did pick up that she had to walk backwards because her for, her focus had to be on the the image mm-hmm. the image yes. um and everyone else was like uh paying their respects and honor by praying and doing like the flowers and, and things I, I I don't think I've read about it anywhere else okay so I'm not as familiar with it as i as I'd like to be to be in order to be able to uh, visualize it better. Yeah. And there's, um, she uses the surrounding 
um, I always want to say the word layperson, but just sort of, you know, the regular day in, day out people, right? And their adoration and their faithfulness. And she uses that in juxtaposition to sort of this, I'm trained intellectual um, faithfulness. And I thought it was really powerful that she moves from this discussion where she talks about her spiritual director had advised her to spend the first year in Lima listening. And I love that idea of listening because when we think we know, the things we cease to listen because we think we're the ones who are sort of disseminating this enlightenment on the way down. And really we miss out on being taught um, because we're sort of in this hierarchy that we've been accustomed to based off of sort of the patriarchal model of a top-down engagement with other human beings. And she writes, Um, As I walked home after the procession, I realized how privileged I was to have been part of such an outpouring of faith, the faith of the poor and the oppressed that maintains them. That is the sustenance in most trying situations. I felt my well-reasoned faith, a so-called sophisticated faith illumined by the right kind of theology, was not any deeper, any more pleasing to God than the faith of the poor people I had seen expressed for two days. I feel like uh, that... That attitude, the attitude that we, um, coming from, I don't know. Okay, so I'm going to use the example of a church in the United States going, or California, which is where I grew up, um, going down to Mexico for a missions trip, or Mm. like going to a Latin American country for a missions trip. Um, And I feel like even though we go there or we would go there with good intentions, like maybe helping to build houses or whatever. Um, We would still go with this mindset of, oh, we need to convert as many people as possible, Mm -hmm. Um, but we need to convert them to our way of thinking about the church and Mm -hmm. about the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like that's a very cool, colonial type mindset and I like that she um is a vulnerable and saying here's what I that's actually what I thought but now I don't think (laughs) yes yes I um really was impacted by what she said here and I like the way that you linked it to that sort of colonialist approach to mission work. And it reminded me of the work that um, a scholar over in Australia, um, John Flett, he does a lot of discussion about mission. And um, I've sort of been in and out of a bunch of uh, his works, but in a conversation with him once, we were talking um, about one of a some chapter out of acts and he asked me he said lauren who is the one that's in oh it's the discussion of peter on the roof and um peter goes to cornelius's house and he said who's actually converted there is it cornelius or is it peter and i was like oh you know mind blown <laughs> i was like it's definitely peter and so the the when it comes to you know mission work isn't about us taking our you know special enlightenment and illuminating all the lesser peoples of the heathen cultures who just don't get it according to the way that i see it. and of course i have this like wealth of 
special egg of information that everyone has to have and have it a very specific, specific way, by the way. Um, and it's actually, I need to go into that territory and listen and proceed in gospel proclamation that plants seeds and grows um, the very uh, vine or fruit or tree that it's going to grow in that culture, not according to me, not according to what I think is right. And so one of the things I've been thinking about recently is sort of the um, audacity of American evangelicals to think that they have the corner market on what the gospel is saying. So mm -hmm. specifically, I'm thinking of a more Lutheran or American Lutheran perspective that says, you know, the gospel is um, strictly you are forgiven your sins, full stop. And so you're good with God on you go, right? There's mm -hmm. almost like, and it's, it's a very specific Luther reception that comes over um, with the Luther Renaissance coming out of Germany. And the way that American Luther reception occurs is very specific and it takes on a certain flavor. And part of me just wants to scream from the rooftops, your perspective of one, what Luther's saying, or two, of what the gospel's saying through that narrow lens isn't the only perspective. But you run up against, and as women, we run up against like that hard wall of that, no, I'm right. And we're coming against that patriarchal line as well. And it's really hard to kind of penetrate into that. Um, but it's been something that I've been noticing and, and convicted of, of myself. Um, in conjunction with that, I have noticed uh, that we tend to want to disabuse people of simple faith. I'm going to be very careful with this because I do think that we might be seeing some instances um, currently of some really interesting interpretations of uh, the gospel based off of sort of personal experience. Um, and I don't want to discredit that. Uh, but at the same time, I do think that it's wrong to trump about disabusing people of doctrines that bring them hope, that make them want to get up and keep going. Um, when we think that we have the answer, we actually cease being dialectical theologians and we become the problem because yeah. the dialectical theologian is always asking questions rather than, no, you can't believe in the resurrection. You can't believe that Jesus ascended. You can't believe these things. But that's not I'm not the answer. Christ is the answer. And so we ask questions. And so um, I think that she offers a good correction to that tendency towards that educated um, intellectualist approach to, well, that doesn't make sense. And we go with what's rational. Yeah, um, I think that's a really good point. Um, and also, I, I want to differentiate that uh, uh, there's anti-intellectualism which yes. some people some people will stick to um yes. but i think you can have like that that gospel of hope and not be against searching and examining and asking more questions i don't think they're mutually exclusive and it seems like uh they're made to be mutually exclusive a lot yes yes 
Yes, when you have that fundamentalist strain sort of take surge in sort of the mid 20th century here in the States in a response to that liberalism that's coming out of Europe. And so, you know, that's seen as, um, you know, those people are losing their faith, but we're going to cling to our faith by being like, we, we believe every word of the Bible, which is actually yeah. a newer approach to things. And that can be detrimental because it does, you're absolutely right. It's a beautiful way to describe it. That anti-intellectualism um, is very problematic. I think that the what I want to add to that is it's not for me the one who's been schooled in sort of the intellectual um, studies of the scriptures to rip from people's hands. Um, and I wonder if that causes more of that antagonism because I know so much, you are now enlightened and you're stupid for thinking X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Maybe it's my place to, maybe taking Isazi Diaz's lead, it's my place to sit and listen and find the invite or listen for the invite. Um, and I, I wonder if that would be a better approach than necessarily um, just trying to strip people down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and while you were talking about that, I was thinking about, uh, how classicism pl obviously plays into this, right? Because if yes. you are quote unquote more learned than these other people, that puts you at least in your your mind mm -hmm. a higher at a higher status than these people. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it is. It's. It's. It's a. It's brilliant to link it to a class thing because I also have access to the education. Right. And so, yeah. um, again, we notice that in um, oppressive systems, um, class, race, sex, gender, sexuality, it's all linked in those um, oppressive groups. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. Um, what did you find? All right. So um, on the next page, uh, Isasi Diaz is talking about a um, holiness and the conception of holiness as uh was um taught to her or brought to her and that she she learned um and she says uh holiness in the convent uh was defined at that time in terms of self-sacrifice self-sacrifice long hours of meditation and prayer 19 years old at the time I struggled with myself to be close to God by doing what those in authority told me to do, but it was to no avail. I did not feel closer to God. I could not convince myself I was a terrible sinner. I could not see any reason for flagellating myself. I could not see any reason for thinking I had failed terribly when I fell asleep in chapel during meditation at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> um, and I found myself relating to this uh, because I had been noticing over the past couple of years that uh, I have a very visceral reaction when uh, I encounter the word holiness nowadays, because uh, back in my evangelical, somewhat uh, fundamentalist days, holiness was this personal piety thing, like you were confessing your sin, you were doing your devotions, you were going to church, you were doing everything you can uh, to be like a good Christian and uh, be holy. But 
rather than what Isasi Diaz does here, I was like, I, I totally like, I didn't see myself as having any other option. So mm -hmm. I tried my best and I tried my best and it didn't work. <laughs> like I was always falling short according to somewhere, someone, somewhere, somehow, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but, so I admire her for like, you know, as a 19 year old uh, being like tenacious and like, and, and strong willed enough to be like, this isn't what holiness is for me. Like, right. I don't, I don't need to do this stuff. Um, and also I liked this because um, I do think that when you're talking about Heidi and holiness, you do have to take into account uh, someone's individuality and someone's makeup and you can't and you shouldn't go around telling people you're only holy if you sit still and pray because mm -hmm. some people can't sit still and pray mm -hmm. and like be silent they have to go outside and go take a walk um they have to go march in the streets which she talks about in this chapter i think um praying with praying with your feet like activism is a form of prayer um and so what works for somebody might not work for another person um right and yeah so yeah those are the couple of reasons i appreciated that yeah i was really struck by that section um because she says i could not convince myself i was a terrible sinner and i thought she loves herself <laughs> She's like, wait, why am I a terrible sinner? You know, and I think about how often, at least in the circles that I've run, where a part of the process of evangelism and mission is about showing someone how horrible they are. So essentially, if you wanted Isaze Diaz to sort of fall in line with that more, again, I'm going to talk about like the American Protestant scene um, about you are a horrible sinner and God is angry at you you have to be, you have to do a verbal violence to her mm -hmm. psychology. And then you have to then turn around and say, but I've got good news. Jesus died for your sins and now you're saved. That is so violent. If you think about what is actually going on is it, stripping. I just love the fact that she said, I couldn't find that I was a terrible sinner. Like that didn't make sense to me. Um, and I was like, preach. <laughs> I like how you described it as uh as a self-love or like she loves her she loves herself yeah. like she she recognized she recognized herself for the person that she was and not uh, who other people were telling her right it's not it's not about when sin is such an uh, just just i i kind of hate the word because of how it's been so abused in so many different ways to condemn people and to give people like religious anxiety and religious trauma and it's abusive it can be so abusive um it and but the way that i have sort of grown to kind of see sin is this when when i am trying to build my ladder or stairway to heaven, right? Like when I'm trying to do um, what it is that I need to do so that I can um, feel that God, if there is a God, would like me, 
that's, that's the breakdown because I'm losing that kind of central aspect of, um, kind of restedness or hearing rightly or seeing rightly or experiencing God rightly. I don't think it's about, I once again, didn't have quiet time, or once again, I had one too many Oreos or, you know, this thing that I had to get rid of. It's just the, the, almost for me, sin becomes, um, a thing when I, um, get my wheels spinning in a turned in incurvatus in say way, right? Like when I start turning inward and being so consumed with my purity, my piety, my holiness in the way that she's describing it, um, that to me is way more would classify for me way more as sin than necessarily being an activist in the world, which some people would call, call you're not trusting God. Mm-hmm. Um, you see that rhetoric right now in social media, but um, mm-hmm. that whole rhetoric of if you're worked up about who's going to be president, you don't have faith. And I'm like, oh, I don't think that's true, <laughs> but there's so anyway, so I, I love that section. I thought it was really, really great. And that her spirituality that she kind of ditches the word. Um, and it, this did make me think of you because we had a conversation on Twitter about the word holiness. Oh yeah. yeah. And I, so when I was reading this, I was like, Ooh, this is perfect because I think this is exactly like ditch the word. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just didn't like it. And so, but anyway. Yeah. So, um, this ch- chapter was like, really short but I think we underlined quite a few (laughs) (laughs) quite a few little sections um uh what was something else you wanted to share about um well I'm looking I just looked at our notes uh Sabrina and I keep a document where we write out some quotes and we share it so we can see it yours comes next on page 32 the next thing that you found interesting. Oh, nice. Okay, that works out well. Uh, I could not remember the page numbers. All right, uh, so page 32, uh, she writes, uh, though I was not to articulate it until years later, it was then that I began to realize that the lived experience of the poor and the oppressed was to be the source of my theology, the grounding for what I believe about God and the basis for understanding what God asks of me. I became aware of the fact that they were too busy struggling for food, a roof over their heads, and medicine for their children to worry about saving their souls. Uh, Their daily undertaking to find bodily sustenance parallels the original, quote, give us this day our daily bread, unquote, which is not a spiritual petition. <laughs> so, th- so that was like a good segue to this actually, um, because reading this um, today, I was immediately recalling uh, the people who are saying very loudly that they are going to go on with their lives and be happy no matter who gets elected president. Mm-hmm. Um, not to worry uh, because God's got everything. Uh, Jesus is on the throne, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, uh, isn't that like spiritual bypassing? And isn't that <laughs> a form of abuse? Because mm-hmm. there are actually people who are struggling not spiritually, but materially. 
Right. Right. Yeah. No. Um, And so it is a privilege when your material needs are taken care of to the degree that you don't have to worry about them and you can spend your time being quote unquote, quote unquote, spiritual, Mm -hmm. like praying and meditate and all the good, which is not bad in and of itself. Those are not bad practices, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they, they are not more important than having your material needs taken care of. Right, right. Right. And so that reminded me of a section of Bonhoeffer's ethics where he talks about ultimate and penultimate needs. And when there is, so he does kind of create a hierarchy. He does think that um, the, the, the gospel, the justification by faith alone, apart from works is sort of the great thing. It's not, it, it won't hit unless the penultimate needs are being met. So while the gospel proclamation and having someone come to an encounter with God in the event of faith is for him, the ultimate thing, he's like, no, one's going to hear you if their stomach is rumbling or if they're sick and like there it's, it's going to fall on, it's going to fall on deaf ears. And I, he doesn't really tease that out too much anywhere else in ethics, but it's such a brilliant understanding of we need to meet the material needs first. The penultimate has to be met first before you can even begin to bring sort of that ultimate thing about proclamation of the gospel, proclaiming the gospel to someone who's starving and just being like, aren't you glad that Jesus is on the throne is condescension. And again, once I use this word a lot, but it is, it's it, to me, it's spiritual violence. Yeah. It's violent. Um, I was also thinking of uh, the epistle of James and how he, you know, writes that uh, it's useless for someone to send this person away, like with a blessing, without mm-hmm. meeting their material need that they came knocking on your door for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that people who want to take some aspects of the Bible, so literally do not take that very literally. Nope. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, we're not supposed to mention James. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I like the book of James. Cause it's such, a, it, it like comes against like so much, um, just really bad Protestant understanding of works. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so good. I was thinking of the time when the, uh, paralytic is, um, lowered the paralytic man is lowered through the roof to Jesus like the order that Jesus does this in the healing is first physical <laughs> and then <laughs> just yep. for the crowd he's like and your sins are forgiven <laughs> um, so yeah. i think if Jesus is going to go in that order uh and it's not necessarily you know he doesn't make it like a um a prescription or a recipe he does do that in that instance. So I don't think that we should necessarily make the spiritual as something so important that the material is sort of, you know, bypassed as you pointed out. And yes, it's been infuriating the people who have expressed and exposed their own comfortability um, by saying, oh, I don't care who's president, Jesus is king. Um, There's like 75% of our population that does care. Um, and we should care. 
um, 75% of our population, that number is so wrong because 70% of our population is white and comfortable-ish, right? Because we have class in there. Mm-hmm. I'm getting down to a rabbit hole that I shouldn't get into. <laughs> but I think that when we look at something like, I think what I'm building off of is the idea of like the 1%, who mm-hmm. is actually truly comfortable, um, middle class and up. Um, so that number is a lot smaller than the bulk of how this country runs, which is off of the labor of oppressed groups. Um, that's where I was going with that number, kind of like looking at it as a triangle. Mm -hmm. The majority of the population is not doing okay. Even if part of them are convinced that they are just because their skin's white. Yeah. 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 And that's a good point because I I don't know any people that I would call rich necessarily. So all the people I see or observe um, saying things like, oh, don't worry, everything's gonna be fine. Uh, they are probably what you would call middle-class or even mm-hmm. lower middle-class. Ca- mm-hmm. Yeah, and the system, as we know, we look at something like a beast like capitalism, it destroys everyone involved in it. It consumes and devours everything and it's insatiable. And so, um, it's, I was thinking recently of the um, early death rates for, um, for men uh, in like standard patriarchal households where the man goes off and does all the work. And I remember a student asking me when he found out that I was a feminist, like, why would you want to die early too? And I was like, well, why don't we look at it a little differently? Yeah. If I'm sharing the load with my husband in this system, Maybe he gets to live a little, little bit longer. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> like that's good news, right? But I, I was thinking that these are these are um, like the men who are dying early in this system, this patriarchal capitalist system, um, are still voting it in, but it's killing them. But it's the only thing that so much of our country just assumes that is because it has been in place for so long and they, no one has the imagination to imagine something different. Well, not no one. There are people who do so, um, especially the people who kind of scream into the void and against the void to kind of summon something into that space. Um, but so many people looking at the numbers just from the election, so many people voted that to stay. And it's killing people. It kills because oppression demands an oppressor and oppress. And so therefore no one's free, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I was like, whoop, all over the place. That comment. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good rabbit trail though. It's, it's applicable. <laughs> I felt, I felt jealous of uh, the Magnificast today tweeted out something about how many minutes they have in terms of like, you know, talking about Marxism and social and Christianity. Oh. And I was like, I, we can do this. <laughs> we can do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so moving on to the final portion, um, if you're okay with that, unless you want to have sure. Okay. Um, yeah. One of the things, uh, a sort of one of her closing messages as she's winding up this very short chapter, um, as the years have gone by, I have accepted that for me to strive to live to the fullest by struggling against injustice is to draw nearer and nearer to the divine. Drawing closer to God and struggling for justice have become for me one and the same thing. Struggling for my liberation and the liberation of Hispanic women is a liberative praxis. This means 
that it is an activity both intentional and reflective. It is a communal praxis that feeds on the realization that Christ is among us when we strive to live the gospel message of justice and peace. And so there's no reason, there's no good argument against, um, even though American evangelicalism does try very hard to sort of levy an argument against activism as a form of self-righteousness, you can't make that argument because the deeper we become connected and can identify with the oppressed groups through mutuality of suffering, through taking that and shouldering that on, the deeper and more um, connected we become to the divine who exists um, and resides in suffering. Like, yeah, that is sanctification. Mm-hmm. Being able to identify and empathize with those who are, are who are, are sick and suffering and um, struggling to, to identify is to be like Christ. That is to be Christian. I mean, at least in the way that I'm reading things. Yeah. Um, it also acknowledges, too, uh, that people have body or have bodies. We're not just spirit. So right. that's another reason why we can't go oh like these spiritual things are more important than the material things uh, because you know as you were talking about the ultimate and penultimate um needs like being in relationship with the divine and especially since the divine came down in a bodily form (laughs) it would then follow that this holistic approach is as you said sanctification yeah i literally wrote i'm just going to show for those of you who are looking i had tons of notes in the margins on this and i'm daring enough to say you know five gone eight Woo! it's like the new girls gone wild like both fives gone eight um (laughs) This is like the intellectual version of the girls gone wild, but um, (laughs) that's not a rabbit hole I want to go down, but I am bold enough to say that when you deny material necessity to material beings, you are denying the incarnation. You're essentially saying that Jesus's body wasn't all that necessary. And you have now lost the core and the crux of all that is Christianity. You mm-hmm. might as well go ahead and pursue something different because to deny the body of another person is to deny the body of Christ. Like that, I see that link so tightly. Um, and we, and it's, and it's the site of our encounter with God in the event of faith. It's not just an intellectual ascent. Oh, well, yes, that argument makes so much sense. I do not want to go to hell. I will go ahead and mindfully choose um, Jesus. It's a visceral, real encounter that we experience in our bodies, through our emotions, through our senses. This is why church has actually, when done rightly, can have so many physical material attributes, singing, eating, drinking, smell, sight. We see things like we get in, we, we are asked to like enter in physically to this space, physical, um, and have an encounter with God that is the point of contact is our bodies. Baptism. Baptism. Yeah. Baptism. That is a sight on the body. Like it doesn't, it's, it's on me. Same thing with two kneeling or standing in line and receiving the body and drinking. 
you know, um, oh, I'm not a transubstantiationist, but receiving the bread and drinking the wine, that is a mm-hmm. physical act that we get to do that unites us with all the saints that have gone before and that will come after in mm-hmm. And it's the unifying event. No matter how much money you have, you come empty handed to that table. No matter how much money you have, you are naked in that baptism. Um, well, not proper Episcopalians. We are decked out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like you're, it's, it's, a, it's a humbling, vulnerable event to be baptized. Um, and we do so with babies. Um, but um, anyway, it's just, it is. I do think that it's a denial. To deny someone material need and just sort of make it all about the spirit, it's, that's no longer Christianity. That has become something altogether different. And there are t- plenty of traditions that do separate the person from the body. And you can go pursue those. But to call yourself Christian is to unite the, that person as one. And which is the violence that patriarchy has just leveled, um, especially white supremacist patriarchy has just leveled against people of um, different sex, different gender, different color, different sexuality has been to rip their soul out of their body and say, this is okay, this is bad, but don't worry. Like one day you'll have something like I have. Um, And so there's a group of people that sort of roam about that have never experienced dualism that that forced violent mm-hmm. stripping of the body i literally had someone tell me it's not you lauren that it's not you that's the problem like it's not personal that you can't celebrate it's just that you're a woman like um, and i was like what <laughs> i was like but my um, whole entire experience is <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I uh, like, it's deeply connected to who I am. Like, yeah. but a white man can say that a white cis hat man can look at someone and say that and strip, um, a, you know, a, a black man of his color and just say, oh, well, you're all, you know, like just act like us now, um, and say, it's not personal, but you can't be here because of your color, your sex, your sexuality, your identification, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then say, it's not personal. That is dualist language that I don't see in, I mean, Jesus took uh, that death very personally (laughs) (laughs) and died and rose again in body. So our bodies matter. And to say that they don't, or to do something like that to someone is violent, is traumatic and um, denies Christ himself. Agreed. Agreed. Um, And I was thinking about this, not that I want to go down the rabbit hole of like who defines what is a heresy and who defines what is orthodoxy but Mm -hmm. the name of that heresy that says that jesus was only only appeared to be human Mm i think so i don't know i i can't keep them i can't keep those heresies straight (laughs) just the logical ones Well, I do know that Gnosticism denies materiality. Like it's all about achieving this higher state. Um, I could see Gnostics, but I don't, again, I don't, I don't have a lot of mental um, realty for all the heresies because there's so many. We Mm. love that word. (laughs) Um, I taught world religions. And one of my favorite things was when we got to Christianity, I'd be like, oh, look, here's this word heretic. Only Christians use it. Oh. <laughs> we're the only we're the only um um we're the only tradition that bases so much off of right thinking right versus wrong thinking yeah 
and so and and so many other traditions like all of them are about action yep it's so um you know orthopraxy versus orthodoxy man we mm-hmm. get bent out of shape over orthodoxy it's, it's almost so. fun to like poke that it's so easy to poke right mm-hmm. you know like just randomly refer to God as she amidst some of the more conservative types. And it's like, (laughs) so anyway, I'm feeling a little lit up right now. Yeah. um, I've been in this, well, my therapist said, oh, that's that, that, uh, that's your fierceness. She says, that's like the type eight energy that you've been feeling all week. And I was like, yeah, I kind of want to feel this all the time. (laughs) But then I was like, no, wait, that would be way too exhausting. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know if I could handle that. Like yeah. maybe just once in a while, like it's okay. But like, yeah. yeah, I've been feeling like that all week. Yeah. This, and yeah, I think that is probably par for the course for a lot of fives that have a good amount of information, right? Cause we are sort of, um, cause so Sabrina and I are both fives. I'm a five wing four. Um, and she's a five wing six. And so we are, we bracket all of fiveness just between the two of us, all of it, <laughs> all of it done. Um, but one of the, um, like what you don't want is so five sit, we have our greed is avarice and we sit on our information. Um, I will read and 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 not write anything. But the thing that you don't want is to have me in your presence, go to eight with all that information. <laughs> that's, that's like eight energy with like five ability to research everything to death, right? You're so done. Like, and that's yeah. scenario, you are toast. <laughs> it's so funny because we don't do it often, but when it comes to this and this week has been drawing that out of me um, in fierce ways when I've seen so much um, just dastardly language that has been just leveled at groups that are just trying to live. And it has made me furious because I'm like, these people are just trying to survive and you are above survival. You are in the process of being able to thrive. And you're telling people who are just trying to breathe, literally Mm -hmm. walk down the road without sort of any sort of casualty having or having fear. You're telling them it doesn't matter. It does matter. Like I'm ready to go to fisticuffs. I used the word fisticuffs there. (laughs) Fisticuffs. Yeah. Nice. I know. I pull out my really archaic language. My students, I had a joke with my students that the later in the day that it got and the more teaching that I did, um, the more words I'd run out of, because I don't know if you feel like this, but I feel like when I use a word, it goes, it doesn't like recycle. And so I use a bunch of words in teaching. And then by the end of the day, if I taught for like six hours, my brain would be pulling words from like studying for the SATs or the ACT. Like it would be like, here's this polysyllabic word. And I would just use it. And the students would just look at me like, where did that come from? I'm like, I don't know. I'm out of words. And so now I'm getting desperate. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. Um, anything else you want to add? Eight, you want to go eight anymore? Um, I, I, I feel, speaking of eights, I feel like, I feel like, uh, Isasi Diaz is an eight. She has that energy, doesn't she? She just says what she's thinking. I mean, I know we're not supposed to type people, but I kind of feel that eightness whenever I. Yeah. She is also too, she has this nineness about her. That's like, kind of like 
going about her business, kind of peacemaker. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa. So maybe she's like a eight wing nine or like, mm-hmm. um, like she had people point out to her, oh, by the way, you're going to encounter racism. Oh, by the way, you're going to counter sexism. And then she was like, and then I saw it. Mm-hmm. So it, it, um, there's this aspect of her that has this, um, kind of nine peacemaker sort of, uh, yeah. energy, but I do, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, we welcome the opinions of, uh, yeah. anyone else who, <laughs> who maybe knows who more? has read Mujerista theology or is more familiar with Isasi Diaz. Um, cause and the Enneagram. Yeah. And Outside the Enneagram. The number five. <laughs> not an expert. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I'm not either. I don't have uh, tons of time to research it to that extent. But I was talking to a friend yesterday, um, someone who you have interviewed, uh, someone whom you have interviewed, Dirk uh, Vanderhorst. And he was like, I don't know my Enneagram. And I was like, you're a four. You're hardcore four. Definitely. (laughs) And so he said he took a, he took a test. And so he's, um, four wing five. And I was like, boom, that's why we sort of jive so well because we speak similar languages. So, but anyway, I was like, that's, that's what, and then he has a high two. And I was like, see, that was the other number I was thinking as well. But anyway, yeah, we're not supposed to type people, but I do it all the time. I know. I can't help it. (laughs) I think it's that observation thing. Yes. Yes. That fives have. Oh yeah. Watching people. I love it when I get caught watching someone. (laughs) (laughs) it's not creepy i'm just observing (laughs) that's probably a good note to end on so if you like our show (laughs) please creep up no just kidding (laughs) subscribe (laughs) yeah um so maybe i should say yeah you can subscribe you can very much subscribe Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. well for seminary for the rest of us i think any platform that you want to um, yes you can yes. subscribe and i'm not sure about sancta colloquia but yeah we are um we <laughs> there's many of us here um uh i am on instagram um and on twitter and um my i post my videos through just my lauren re larkin sort of um youtube so yeah. But anyway, yeah. But yeah, um, I would like for folks to uh, give us feedback too. Um, if they good, have good read, feedback, yeah, just, just the good stuff. <laughs> just the good stuff. <laughs> Especially if they have read or are reading along with us, Mujerista um, theology, because to me, dialogue about these things is fun. Hmm. Yep. I agree. I agree. I second that. So, um, anyway, I always say glad you're here and, uh, thanks for stopping by. This has been seminary for the rest of us. Thank you so much for joining. Glad you're here. There are all kinds of ways to connect. So make sure to check them out in the show notes. In particular, please send me an email at seminary.show at gmail.com if you have any sort of theological questions, and I will do my best to answer them on the show. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, make sure to take a quick moment and give us a rating. 
that's a really easy way to show your support and increase our visibility. If you want to take it a step further, donations are always welcome, and that link is in the show notes as well. Thank you so much.